Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 636 for the 31st of March, 2019. This week, removing unwanted key functions from the keyboard can be accomplished with a registry edit, but there's a better option for those who fear touching the registry. And for those who do edit the registry, there is a non-Microsoft editor with some clever tricks. In short circuits, Asus has moved to correct a problem with their live update application. That application was used to push malware out to hundreds of thousands of computers. We'll take a look at some of the most persistent high-tech myths. Artists who use a sketch pad to start a project and then have to transfer art manually to a computer will be happy with a paper notebook that connects to Adobe Illustrator. And in spare parts, only on the website, if you'd like to share less information online when you're shopping or sending emails, a service called Blur may help. And the Information Security Forum releases an assessment each year. The latest edition predicts some very serious problems in the next two years. The registry is a scary topic because it seems mysterious. In fact, it is a carefully ordered collection of information about how parts of the operating system function, settings for the operating system's thousands of options, and information about installed applications. Editing the registry can render the system unusable if done wrong, but when edits are made with care, they can make the system operate exactly the way you want it to and solve some problems. For example, you can eliminate or move keys on the keyboard. Keyboards contain keys you might not ever want to use intentionally. The caps lock key is a prime example for me. Pressing caps lock accidentally converts your words to shouts. And who wants that? I've described how a relatively simple registry edit can disable caps lock, but many people are understandably reluctant to tread among registry keys. Well, there's a better way. A clever little utility called Sharp Keys can handle the registry edits for you, and it doesn't even need to be installed. Instead, you can just download the zip file, unpack it, and run Sharp Keys. There is also an installable version in an MSI file, but there's really no reason to install it. When you start Sharp Keys, Windows will display a user access control warning because the program will make changes to the registry. The first time I ran the program, I was happy to see that it already knew about the changes that I had made using manual registry edits. I had previously disabled both caps lock and scroll lock. If you see an error message after launching Sharp Keys, it's probably because the Microsoft.NET Framework 4.0 isn't installed. If that happens to you, you can obtain the .NET Framework from Microsoft's website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website this week. Make sure you obtain the version that is supported by the operating system you have installed. SharpKeys works with Windows NT and later, but not with Windows 95 or Windows 98. SharpKeys does have some limitations. You might want to do something that it simply can't do, so let's get those out of the way first. Sharp keys cannot swap two keys with each other. 
In other words, you can't assign the shift function to caps lock and the caps lock function to shift. If you need to do something like that, you will have to edit the registry manually. SharpKeys isn't able to map a multi-key function to a single key. For example, you can't map Control-Z to F1, even if you can think of some use case where that would actually make sense. SharpKeys cannot map mouse clicks to a key. Mouse click isn't a key, after all. SharpKeys cannot map special hardware keys to other keys. Some keyboards do have built-in keys for things like volume, power control, and things like that. SharpKeys does not allow key mapping on a per-user basis. If you make changes, they apply to every user who uses the computer. And perhaps most important, SharpKeys cannot protect you from making errors. If you make a change that renders the computer unusable, you're on your own. The developer says, and I quote here, I would think you could get into safe mood and remove the scan code map registry key, but you'll be on your own. Having said this, please be careful and you're using sharp keys at your own risk. Words of caution from the developer. So with that warning out of the way, let's see what sharp keys can do. The most common use is probably to eliminate a key you don't want. For me, those keys are caps lock and scroll lock, because I'd want to avoid accidentally typing several sentences in all caps. And if I'm working on something else that requires my looking at a source document, I usually don't look at the screen when I'm typing. And also, scroll lock creates a condition I don't like in spreadsheet applications, so I want to disable those two keys. If your computer has two keyboards, it's important to be sure that the key you think you're mapping is the key you really are mapping. Many people who use notebook computers attach full-size keyboards to them, and sharp keys can see both of the keyboards. This may result in a bit of confusion. It sees the pause break key on my full-size keyboard, for example, as numlock, and identifies the numlock key as the euro symbol. Sharp keys may also report a lot of unknown keys. There are hundreds of keyboard models, and many of them include extra keys that don't use standardized scan codes that apply to the common keys. The easiest way to identify the key you want to change is to click the Type Key button on the Key Mapping dialog box and then press the key. Sharp keys will select the appropriate value and fill it in. If you want to remap either the left alt or the right alt key, though, pressing the key itself does not work. You'll have to find it in the list of keys. You'll find both in the special section. The left alt key is 00 underscore 38. The right alt key is E0 underscore 38. The key you want to map is shown in the left panel, and the key you want to map it to is set in the right panel. The top option there is Turn Key Off. After defining all the mappings you want to use, press the Right to Registry button. You'll then need to reboot the computer so the registry will be reread to enable the new mappings. If you've created several mappings you'd like to use on another computer, click Save Keys to write a file. Take that file and the sharp keys executable to the other machine, run the application, use the Load Keys button to import the settings, and then click Write to Registry on the second machine. You can download the application from the author's website. You'll find a link to that site from the TechBiter Worldwide website this week, www.techbiter.com. But sometimes you really do need to edit the registry yourself. And Windows 10 includes a perfectly usable registry editor. 
The most recent Windows 10 update, that would be version 18.09, added some features that make the editor even better. Even so, you might want to take a look at Kurt Zimmerman's RegCool utility. RegCool has features that RegEdit doesn't have. When you make a registry change, you can undo it and redo it, and the history can be saved to disk and then reloaded at startup, so the undo and redo functions persist following a system restart. If there's a registry key that you visit frequently, you can add it to a list of favorites, then you can get there with a single click instead of having to click through the entire hierarchy. For example, HKLM System Current Control Set Control Keyboard Layout to get to the location where the keyboard mappings are stored. Some registry keys are locked because the system or an application has exclusive use of it. This, of course, is for your own protection. But if you know what you're doing and you really need to edit a key that you don't have permission to edit, RegCool will let you take control. RegShot is a function that allows the user to take a snapshot of the registry and then compare it with another registry. This could be an older version of the computer's registry or a registry from some other computer. Cut, copy, and paste functions allow for copying or moving a registry entry from one hive to another, and that should be used with extreme caution. As with other databases, deleted entries can take up space until the registry is defragmented. RegCool offers a function to do this. Be sure to use the backup function first, though, just in case and be prepared to reboot the computer when the process completes. The developer is German, and sometimes you'll find German words in the program's interface and in the documentation. Usually these are pretty easy to decode. und in place of and, for example, and undo and redo shown as strg plus z and strg plus y instead of control z and control y. STRG is the abbreviation for Steirung on a German keyboard, just as CTRL is the abbreviation for Control on a U.S. keyboard. You can download RegCool from the developer's website, and as always, there's a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. In short circuits, both Motherboard and TechCrunch are reporting that hundreds of thousands of computers powered by ASUS motherboards have been compromised by malware pushed out by ASUS. Both say the flaws were discovered by Kaspersky Labs in January. The reports say that the ASUS Live Update application was compromised by hackers who then used an ASUS signing certificate to place a modified version of the tool on the ASUS Update servers. Although hundreds of thousands of computers are affected, it appears that the malware was very closely targeted at approximately 600 machines worldwide. The targeting was done by scanning for the computer's media access control address. TechCrunch says that Symantec confirmed the report by Kaspersky Labs, and Motherboard reports that the signing certificates are still in use, and notes that at least 13,000 computers operated by Symantec's customers were infected by the malware. The Motherboard article quotes Kaspersky's Kostin Rao, who says the attack is unusual. The filtering of targets in a surgical manner by their MAC address, he says, is one of the reasons it stayed undetected for so long. If you're not a target, the malware is virtually silent. 
So, unless you own one of the approximately 600 machines targeted in the attack, the malware won't harm you. So far, there's been no indication from anyone about who owns the targeted computers. Clearly, this was a highly sophisticated attack, and one that Asus doubtless should have made public when they became aware of it. That was back in January, or maybe earlier. This week, after the fecal matter made contact with a rotary air impeller, the company shifted into high gear and pushed out an update for the Live Update application. Asus also sent out a news release that said the new version of Live Update has, and their words here, multiple security verification mechanisms to prevent any malicious manipulation in the form of software updates or other means. Asus also says it is now using an enhanced end-to-end encryption mechanism. There's a utility users can run to see if their computers are affected. It's available on the ASUS website. You'll find a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. ASUS is based in Taiwan. It is the fifth largest PC vendor based on unit sales. Now, in 2008, ASUS was found to be shipping laptop computers that contained cracked, unlicensed software. In 2016, the U.S. Federal Trade Commission accused ASUS of failing to fix security problems with their routers. Perhaps there is a trend here. Do more pixels mean better pictures? Given the camera industry's emphasis on pixels since the very beginning, it's not surprising that 86% of the people surveyed by HighSpeedInternet.com believe this to be true. Some of the other myths that a lot of people believe are more surprising. The results of the survey are in a blog post on the High Speed Internet site. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. It cites several common myths. As for cameras, the blog post says that a camera with more megapixels can take a picture with higher resolution, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're better quality. There's a lot more to it than that. The blog points out that a poor quality lens will result in a bad image no matter how many pixels there are. To that, I would add these considerations the ability to shoot raw images, and the sensor's dynamic range. Whether it's a cell phone or an actual camera, it's essential to look beyond pixel count. More than half of us, 52%, seem to think that charging a mobile phone overnight will ruin the battery, and a like number believe that smartphone manufacturers deliberately slow older models when they release new ones. Overcharging batteries, well, that can cause them to fail, but manufacturers now build charging systems that recognize when the battery is fully charged and then stop charging it. So waking up in the middle of the night to take your phone out of its charger is no longer needed. As for slowing down older phone models, Samsung and Apple were both fined for doing that in Italy. Whether it was intentional or not is questionable. The slowdowns usually occurred following an operating system update that required more resources than the hardware could supply. Ideally, manufacturers should limit updates so that they're delivered only to phones that can really support them. About a third of us still think that airport x-ray machines will wipe out the computer or phone memory, 31% in fact, or that computers have to be shut down every night to avoid malfunctions, that stands at 30%. Both of those, by the way, are nonsense. X-ray machines in airports could fog film, but they have no effect on digital memory. A super strong magnet might cause a problem with a computer's disk drive if it uses magnetic platters, 
but the devices we travel with increasingly have solid-state drives that won't be affected. And there's no point in shutting down a computer at night. In fact, there never was. Most failures occur during power-up, and a computer that runs continuously eliminates most of the startups. The argument, though, about which is actually better goes all the way back to the early days of desktop computers. The Post also says that 17% of us think that Macs are immune from malware. That simply is not true and never has been. Macs still have a much smaller market share than Windows machines, but targeted spear phishing attempts are often tailored for Apple computers simply because they are very popular among managers in large businesses. What's the bottom line here? Well, sometimes it's a good idea to check the things we know, because sometimes the things we know aren't really accurate. Adobe and Moleskine have introduced the Moleskine Paper Tablet. It connects to Illustrator, part of Adobe's Creative Cloud. Drawing on the tablet turns sketches on paper into drawings in Illustrator. It requires the Moleskine pen plus ellipse. Why? Well, not everyone likes drawing on a plastic tablet or screen. Some tablets and the drawing nibs have been modified so that they provide an approximation of the tactile sense of drawing on paper, but only a real pen on real paper fully captures the feel of a pen on paper. Moleskine says their research shows that even those who use digital devices often start with a pen on paper and then have to redraw their work on a digital device. Drawings from the paper tablet become digital files that the artist can enhance, color, and texturize in Illustrator. Both the pen and the paper in the notebook are special. Each page has two symbols that trigger actions. One turns on the simultaneous drawing mode within Illustrator, and the other triggers the save function that writes the current file, what you have on the paper, to Adobe Creative Cloud. Users can work solely on paper and then connect their output to Illustrator CC later or they can have the marks made on paper be mirrored simultaneously in Illustrator on a Windows PC or a Mac. This isn't the first time that Adobe has worked with Moleskine. The first effort was a free Moleskine for Creative Cloud mobile app that used special page markings on a companion smart notebook to process the image as a JPEG file before converting it into an SVG file. The new Creative Cloud connected system creates vector art directly. The tablets are available in several sizes. The large 5 by 8 and a quarter inch tablet sells for about $30, but it's often discounted to about $10. The pens, however, cost around $180. Refills are less than a dollar each. So this isn't something that you're going to want to buy for just doodling. But commercial artists who like to start a project on paper and then have to take the time to redraw their work digitally are likely to feel that it's a very worthwhile expense. Oh, and by the way, whether you pronounce the name of the company as Moleskin or Moleskine may depend on your knowledge of Italian. Moleskine is the Italian pronunciation, but many in English-speaking countries just say Moleskin. That's the Anglo pronunciation. The company is headquartered in Milan. It manufactures luxury notebooks and stationery. If you'd like more information, check out the Moleskine website or the Moleskin website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website.
And while you're on the TechBiter Worldwide website, check out Spare Parts because that is the only place you'll find it. This week, if you'd like to share less information online when you're shopping or sending emails, a service called Blur may help. And the Information Security Forum releases an assessment each year. The latest edition predicts some serious problems in the next two years. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.